Amen. Welcome this morning. Um, I'm sure you're all wondering what horrible joke is Adam going to make today. And I'm sorry to disappoint you. I didn't write anything per the norm. Um, but why don't you go ahead? We kind of have an unofficial church holiday today. It's our last day of three services. Something to be excited about if you're on the worship team. <laughs> oh, I did put my foot in my mouth. Um, why don't we go ahead and give the person next to us a little tip of the cap and wish them a good morning. Well, good morning again, everybody. How are we doing this morning? It's beautiful outside, so we should be all energetic and ready to go. My name's Sam. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Just want to give you a couple announcements. Adam, like he already said, um, today is the last Sunday of our three-service schedule. Next week, we start our summer schedule, which will take us all the way through Labor Day. And that just means we go back to two services, 9 o'clock and 1045. So I just want to make you aware of that. Uh, our second announcement today, as you walked in this morning, you probably saw an awesome display out in the lobby. Today is the kickoff for our registration for Bible Camp. Uh, and we are really, in, our, in the next gen world, we are super excited about this. Um, you may be newer to Hopevale and wondering what Bible Camp is. Bible Camp is a, a week-long worship, fun, games, teaching experience for our kids around here. So, uh, and that happens in June. And so today is the official day that we can start registering uh, kids for Bible camp. And so if you have a child who's going into kindergarten all the way through going into fifth grade, um, you, you can register your child today for Bible camp. So make sure you do that. Um, also, it takes over 300 volunteers to make Bible camp happen for these kids. And, and so we would ask that you, you would consider partnering with us to make this week in June the best week of these kids' summer. Uh, and so if you want to register your kids for Bible camp, if you want to sign up for volunteering, there's actually two ways you can do that. Uh, way number one is from the convenience of your own home. You can get online and go to BibleCampAtHopeVale.org. And uh, there are two little things to click on. One says register and what, uh, a camper, and one says volunteer. And you can click on either one of those and, and register for either one of those. Or you can actually go out into our lobby after the services and there are computers that you can actually sign up and register your child as a camper or sign up as a volunteer. The, the registration for campers is on this side at the outreach desk and volunteers is on this side at the student's desk. Uh, so we are really excited uh, about Bible Camp and we can't wait to see what God does in the lives of kids around here. And we would love for you to join us and, and help us pull that off and make this the best week of the summer for these kids. As the ushers come forward this morning, as we take our, our tithes and offerings, let's go to God in prayer. God, we just, we thank you for uh, what you're doing in our hearts. We thank you for, for what you're going to do in the lives of children this summer as we, uh, we do this thing called Bible Camp around here. Uh, but God, we, we just, we also thank you for an opportunity to spend time worshiping you this morning and turning our eyes and focus and attention towards you. And God, as, uh, as Dan comes out in a little bit and as he teaches us um, on anger, um, and what you have to say about it, God, I pray that our hearts would be open and receptive to you and to what you want to teach us today. God, use these gifts and uh, the money that we give today uh, as a way to bless somebody else. In Jesus' name.
If you're tired and you're thirsty, there is freedom. Let's sing that. And if you're tired and you are thirsty, there is freedom. 
that's exciting to know that truth. That on that third day, that stone was rolled away and out he walked in victory. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Boy, what a great song. And I love how you as a congregation just engage in that, in the story it tells about the victory we have in Jesus Christ. Uh, Before I get to the message, I have an announcement I want to share with you. Uh, Today, one of our outreach partners is uh, visiting with us, Linda Dunn, who ministers in the African nation of Ghana, is with us today. She's in the States for bit of a furlough and is with us at Hopevale today. She'll be out in the lobby between the services. You can get a chance to talk with her. She has um, been ministering in Ghana for quite a while, working with uh, women and discipling them and leaders in the church, and just great that we have the uh, really privilege of supporting her, not just financially, but prayerfully, and really a decades-long partnership that we've had with Linda, so it's great to have her with us today. We are a few weeks into our anger series now, and today is part two of what we looked at last week. How do we address our issues with unhealthy, unrighteous, and unjustified anger? And then how can we, by the grace of God, change and grow as a result? So we begin that conversation. We started by identifying our goal that Contrary to what a lot of us might think, the goal is not to eliminate all of our anger. It's not, because as we've seen in this series, not all of our anger is bad. No, our ability to get angry is actually a reflection of the image of God in us, and we are right to get upset over evil and injustice and corruption and deceit and anything else in this world that runs contrary to the will of God. So when a parent wrestles with anger because they learn that a trusted friend has been abusing one of their children, that anger is a right response because that's not the way things are supposed to be. And so to say that the goal is to shut off all our emotions and get rid of every trace of anger is both impossible and incorrect. So what then is the goal? Well, for us as Christians, we who are these forgiven sinners by the grace of God through the finished work of Jesus Christ, our goal is not elimination, but rather it's transformation. It's not the elimination of our anger, but rather it's the transformation of our anger. It is our spiritual growth as evidenced by the gradual movement over time away from unrighteous anger and toward righteous anger. Godly anger, where we are just like God, getting angry at the right things in the right way, the right time, for the right reasons, and the right proportions. Now, none of us are there yet, not even close, but that's the goal. That's the the target, movements, transformation, growth. That's what we're shooting for. So the question is, how do we get there? Well, here's where the last couple weeks come in, because we talked about what we're responsible for in the process of getting angry versus those things that are out of our control. Specifically then, it's not those provocations to anger, you know, the trigger events we react to that we need to focus on, nor is it our experience of anger that is our angry feelings. No, our job, our responsibility is to address these other two, right? The interpretation of these trigger events, how we perceive we've been wronged, And then also our response, this expression of our anger that is our angry actions that come from our angry feelings. So here's the battleground, right, when it comes to addressing 
righteous anger in our lives. So last week was part one, and we, we talked, as we talked about change, we looked more in depth in this whole interpretation area, right? That we're not always the best at distinguishing the difference between perceived wrongs, when we feel like someone's done something to us, versus actual wrongs, that sometimes we think and feel we've been morally wronged by someone else when in fact that's not actually the case. And see, because we're not God, we have interpretation problems. Our judgment, our discernment, our emotions are clouded by this incomplete knowledge, by this imperfect character. And because our desire for our own wants is often greater than our desire to do God's will, unrighteous anger within us ensues. We saw this passage last week, James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Where does all the selfish anger come from, James asks. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? So for the Christian and non-Christian alike, there's this ugly reality of our selfish desires, the, the, the need to have our way over God's way, right? That's something we've got to confront if we are going to make any progress with our anger. Now, the good news in all this is, as we saw last week, is that for the believer in Jesus Christ, we're not alone, right? That God gives us, as Christians, the gift of his indwelling Holy Spirit at the moment of our salvation, and he is with us always. That in him, we have the power within us to be able to overcome these strong, selfish desires of ours so that as God transforms us from the inside out, our heart to want to do the will of God grows and that passion gradually overcomes our self-centered nature, right? Which is often the source of our unrighteous anger. And Paul describes that this way in Galatians chapter 5. So I say, Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You will not easily give in to that unrighteous anger. Why? For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. And so because the Holy Spirit of God lives in us, victory over unrighteous anger is possible. Progress can happen, but it requires something from us. Requires our submissive cooperation. And so when Paul says, walk by the Spirit, he says, live your life in such a way that you are daily, moment by moment, surrendering your will to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life. Where you are what? Taking God at his word and trusting that he really does have your best in mind. This is where words like obedience and surrender come in. Words that to the untrained ear sound what? They sound weak. They sound miserable when in fact they are strong and joyful. This is how we grow and change as Christians when it comes to our anger. Well, as we continue on today, we're going to tackle then this other part of the equation with our unrighteous anger, and that's our response, right? Our response after we experience anger. Now, you're probably sick of seeing that list of the four steps of anger, so I'm going to try to illustrate this another way, okay? We're going to start with this. You got this person, right? And no, that's not a bathroom sign, okay? <laughs> and no, we're not going to talk about that today, okay? No, I want to stay on target. Did I say target? What I meant to say... <sighs> we, we got this person, right? This person is you, and you are going through your normal, everyday life, and something happens to you. This provocation, right? This trigger event. Your child won't eat the dinner you made them. You're, you hit your finger with a hammer. Someone cut you off in the church parking lot, right? 
Your friend lies to you. You get reprimanded at work for something that wasn't your fault. Your least favorite candidate wins another primary, right? Whatever it is. This trigger event, boom, it happens, and so what? So you interpret it, you process it, you think about it in a certain way, right? And you perceive you've been wrong somehow and you don't like it. Now see that line around this person, the bubble, the shield? This is our grid, right? We run everything through this grid of our thoughts and feelings and values and wants and fears and a lot of other junk that we carry around with us. And as you can see on the slide here, let's call that grid our justice filter, right? And so something happens to us, we run it through this justice filter of ours, and we conclude that's not right. That's not fair. This shouldn't have happened to us. Now, was it an actual wrong done to us? Maybe, or maybe not. Either way, if this trigger event doesn't line up with the way we think things should be for us, then we're going to get upset. Something happened to us that we didn't deserve, right? That, by the way, is why this stage of anger is so important for our growth, that we need God's perspective. We need to rely on God's power here, right? This interpretation stage. And so when we feel we've been wrong, real or just perceived, that's when the angry feelings show up. We experience anger. Now, this might be righteous and justified anger. We've interpreted everything correctly. Or that anger might be unrighteous and self-centered. Now, here's the wild thing about this stage. Either way, your emotions don't really care. Right or wrong, they don't care. Now, if we just think in our heads and feel in our hearts that we've been wrong, then the angry feelings are going to happen, justified or unjustified. And so now by this point, we're mad. We've got these angry feelings. The question is, what's next? What do we do with those angry feelings? How do we respond? Like I said before, this stage, this is the difference between angry feelings versus angry actions. We're already upset. That horse has left the barn. There's nothing we can do about it at this point. Again, trying to squash down our feelings isn't the solution. But still, even here, we do have a choice. We have a choice with our actions, a choice with our response, a choice with what we are going to do with all these angry feelings of ours. That's what we're going to talk about today, okay? So for starters, when we talk about our response after we get angry, let me give you my first piece of biblical advice, all right? Now, this is really important, really profound. You're going to want to write this down, okay? Here it is. When it comes to angry feelings, you got to do something, and nothing ain't something, okay? (laughs) There it is. You got to do something, and nothing ain't something. You know, just reading that, I realize I have missed my calling as a country music superstar, right? (laughs) You got to do something, and nothing ain't something. I'm working on the lyrics, you know. I'll throw something in about a dog, a truck, a gun, a woman who done me wrong, something like that, right? So, no, you got to do something, and doing nothing isn't doing something, right? Let me put it another way. Ignoring your angry feelings, pretending they're not there, will hurt you in the long run. You've got to address them. Now, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, that some people's strategy for dealing with their anger is total denial, right? Total denial. Now, here's what's really deceptive, follow me on this, about the total denial strategy, is that it really looks effective in the short term. It does, because in the short term, things don't get messy when you ignore your anger. 
You don't have to confront someone else. You don't have to appear so critical. You don't have to take something back that you wish you hadn't said. You don't have to regret any consequences of acting out in anger. And so you go down a list like that, and you can see why denial seems like the way to go. But here's the issue with denying your angry feelings. Like I've said before, the problem isn't the feelings. The problem isn't the emotions. No, the problem is why you got upset in the first place. And so if it's unrighteous anger, it means dealing with this provoking event or person. And if it's unrighteous anger, then it's dealing with yourself and your interpretation problem. Why you got angry, what? Over the wrong thing or in the wrong way or, or at the wrong time or for the wrong reason or in the wrong proportion. That's what you need to get at. But if you ignore your angry feelings, then you're never going to be compelled to ask yourself the hard questions like that. In a lot of ways, your angry feelings are like the warning lights on your car dashboard. The light going on is not the problem, right? No, it's simply telling you that there is a problem and that you need to address it or else you're going to be in big trouble, right? Now, I get why we don't want to face up to our angry feelings. Like I mentioned before, it gets pretty messy when you go there and some of us just don't want the hassle. Maybe we've got that, you know, keep the peace kind of personality and we don't want people to be mad at us. But another reason a lot of people go the denial route is false guilt, right? That people feel bad, they feel wrong, they feel guilty because they've got these angry feelings. I talked about this in week one, that in some Christian circles especially, we pick up the message that good people, that good Christians, good husbands, good wives, good parents, good children, right? That if you are good, then you are never supposed to get angry, and that angry feelings whatsoever of any kind must mean that you're being disobedient toward God that you're actually a bad Christian. That's a message that's out there. The problem is it's just not true, and actually it can do more harm than good. And so whatever the reason might be that we want to ignore our angry feelings, however valid it might seem to us, we have to push past the uncomfortableness, right? We have to try to figure out what's going on inside. Because if we don't, we're going to pay for it. Unaddressed anger, unresolved anger that we just let fester over time causes so many problems. Problems with other people, problems with ourselves, problems even in our relationship with God. You cannot keep ignoring your emotional warning lights on the dashboard of your heart. You can't, because whether we're aware of it or not, unresolved anger is going to eventually do damage in other ways. Back again, back to week one. You'll see it show up in things like biting sarcasm, chronic negativity, low energy, and even clinical depression. That in some cases, not all, and in some cases, the root cause of depression can be traced back to repressed anger, to unaddressed, unresolved anger. And then relationally, it shows up too, that in a marriage, in a family, in a friendship, in the church, when you don't face up to your angry feelings, then we open the door to these silent killers of bitterness and resentment. Bitterness and resentment. And while those might not seem as volatile as anger, they can be even more destructive because they harden us over time. We pull away, we withdraw, we might even grow to despise the other person. And because bitterness and resentment work under the surface and poison our hearts, that's why you can have a mom and a dad and all the kids living under the same roof but not have a family, or at least much of a family. And so everyone's there, they're going through the motions, they appear like a family, but nobody really likes each other, right? Why? Bitterness resentment. That's what can happen when you don't face up 
to your angry feelings. And so when it comes to your angry feelings, you have to do something, and doing nothing isn't something. This passage of Scripture that I think is really instructive at this point. I briefly mentioned it before in this series. Ephesians 4, verse 26, the Apostle Paul writes, in your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Now, there's like a lot of gold in this one verse, right? That right up front, we learn that it is possible to be angry, to have angry feelings, and yet still not sin. Actually, the ESV translation of the Bible says, be angry and do not sin, that they are two separate things. So again, don't get down on yourself if you're feeling angry, but on the other hand, you have to do something about it. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Don't ignore it. Don't deny it. Don't put it off. Now, some of you know this passage within the context of marriage and disagreements, that it is far better to address marital conflict sooner than later, maybe even the same day, right, before the two of you go to bed. And for what it's worth, I think that's good advice, but this passage isn't just about marriage. No, it's about all of us, single, married, widowed, divorced, and how we all get on in this world. And so when Paul says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, he's saying, don't play the denial game. Don't put off dealing with your angry feelings. Don't let another day pass or else, what? Or else, verse 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Those two go together that when we let our angry feelings fester, we are giving the devil, we are giving Satan, we are giving the enemy of our souls. We're giving him an open door to mess with our hearts, to mess with our minds, to mess with our lives, to mess with everything. We are opening the door to bitterness. We are opening the door to resentment, to the hardening of our hearts, to the ruining of our relationships. That's what happens when we stuff it all in and pretend it's not there. So do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold into your lives by ignoring your angry feelings. Well, as I describe all this, maybe you feel like I'm talking to you. Maybe I've touched on a sensitive nerve that you know is there, but you've tried not to think about. So what do you do if you want to turn that around? What do you do if you want to begin to face your angry feelings? Here's what I would say, that... You need to share those angry feelings with someone you can trust who's strong enough and smart enough to help you deal with them, right? You can't carry them by yourself. No, you share those angry feelings with someone you can trust who's strong enough and smart enough to help you deal with them. And who might that someone be for you? Well, for starters, it begins with God, right? It starts with prayer. It starts with laying it all out before God and telling him how you feel. That's where you need to begin, now, I realize for some of you here, that idea is rather uncomfortable, and it's a completely foreign-sounding proposition that you would somehow pray to God and express all these angry feelings in your mind that seems so disrespectful that you would actually be that way toward God when you pray. Now, I get how that might seem to you. I, I do, but listen, I think God would rather have you pray to him angry and honest than proper and pretending, Right? Can I say that again? God would rather have you pray to him, angry and honest, than proper and pretending. You know, dear Lord, I come to you this day, and inside you're just stewing, but you're just kind of putting the mask on, right? No. God wants to hear from the real you, not the fake you. And you need to know he's big enough to handle however intense those angry feelings might seem to you. 
Now, we don't have time today, but if you thumb through the Psalms in the Old Testament, you would see a bunch of really honest prayers. You would, some that might even make you squirm a little bit because of how raw the honesty is. So don't hold back, right? God can handle it. Strong enough and smart enough to do so. You know, for some of you, this needs to be your homework this week, to get alone with God to tell him how you're feeling and to be really specific. God, I am upset that this particular thing has happened to me. Go ahead, spell it out in detail. That he said this about me, that she did that to me. List it out. If it helps, write it down and share it with God. Invite him into your situation and he will work on your behalf. And then beyond God, beyond praying to him, there also might be some people in your life that you trust who are emotionally strong enough, who are spiritually smart enough to help you deal with your angry feelings. It might be a close Christian friend. It might be someone here in the church. It might even be a professional counselor who can help you sort through all that you're feeling. Listen, you know, praying to God and talking with someone, that's not an either-or proposition that you have to choose one or the other. No. We need them both. You know, Scripture actually commands us as fellow Christians to bear one another's burdens. It also tells us that we should cast our cares, our burdens, upon the Lord because he cares for us. And so what we're talking about here with anger, this is all part of the solution. It's not the only step we should take, but it's some necessary first few steps when it comes to dealing with our angry feelings. And so if you have these angry feelings going inside of you. You need to do something about them, and denial is not an option. No, we are called to invite God. We are called to invite trusted others into our situation to help us work through what we're feeling, however messy, however ugly it might seem. Now, when it comes to our response, having said all this about the dangers of denial, we also need to make sure that we don't swing the pendulum all the way over to the other side and conclude that the best solution to our angry feelings is to express them immediately and passionately, right? Immediately and passionately. So yes, stuffing them down is bad, but it doesn't mean that letting them fly is good, okay? You know, when you look at a lot of psychology and counseling and therapy out there, you'll see this encouragement for us to get all our anger out, right? Scream at the top of your lungs, punch a pillow, throw something against the wall. Why? Because that seems real and genuine. You're being true to your feelings, Now, in some way, I guess that makes sense. I mean, expressing all that anger is a lot better than a phony smile on the outside with a ticked-off heart on the inside. But giving full vent to your anger as a way to work through your feelings is usually going to backfire on you, okay? It is, especially when you express that anger toward the person you think has wronged you. When we vent out our anger without any filter, it often entrenches our sense of rightness in the situation. Think about it. We said it. We meant it. It felt good, so we must be right. But maybe we're not. Maybe we're not. Maybe our incomplete knowledge, our imperfect character have clouded our judgment. Maybe there's something else, something more, something different going on than what we have perceived. And so as we let our anger fly, we're not only becoming more stubborn, we're not only digging our heels in even deeper, but we're also further than escalating the conflict we have with this other person. We're hurting them with our words and our actions, even though what? Even though there's a good chance they've done absolutely nothing to deserve it. Maybe they just made an honest mistake, but we're making them pay for it, right? 
And so yes, you can't ignore your angry feelings. You need to address what's going on inside of you when you're upset. That still doesn't mean that the best thing for you to do is let it all out. Angry feelings do not have to lead to angry actions. As we saw a couple weeks ago, Scripture actually counsels the opposite, right? Proverbs 12, verse 18, fools show their annoyance at once, at once, but the prudent overlook an insult, right? I mean, to me, that key phrase here is at once, right? That if your solution to angry feelings involves an immediate response, chances are you're doing it wrong. Listen, even with 100% purely righteous anger, rarely is the instantaneous move the wisest move. You know, I think back to the time when our kids were involved at sports at Heritage High School, right? And I remember that before every season began, parents were told about the 24-hour rule, right? 24 hours, that if you need to say something to the coach of your child's team, wait at least 24 hours until after the game before you approach them. Why? Because it's very likely that right after the game, (laughs) the emotions are high and the logic is low. Why'd my kids sit on the bench all game? Why is Johnny Smith starting? Why didn't you call a timeout at the end of the first half? You know, boom, 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 boom. And whatever it is, something happened in that game that didn't jive with your justice filter, and it's got you all riled up. Now, here's the thing, right? Maybe your kid should have been in the game. Maybe they should have started, but again, righteous anger isn't just about the right reasons. It's also about the right time and the right proportions. And the fact is, if you approach the coach right after the game, chances are you probably care a little too much about the issue. And so if you just let it fly right on the spot, you're not helping anyone, especially your child. Why? Because fools show their annoyance at once. Here's something else fools do in how they handle their anger. Proverbs 29, 11, fools give full vent to their range, rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. Full vent. So not only are angry actions immediate, but foolish anger is also passionate. There's no filter whatsoever. Now let me be clear, in and of itself, there is nothing wrong with being passionate, okay? All right. You look in the Gospels and you clearly see that with Jesus, but Jesus' passion was never unrighteous or misguided. And that's just one more way that he's different from us because our passion, our zeal, our intensity, it's not always pure. It's not always for the good. That's why Paul in the New Testament warns us against a zeal that is not based on knowledge or the righteousness of God. There is nothing noble about passion by itself. And so when we give full vent to our rage and hold nothing back, we're not just going to hurt others, but we're also going to do harm to ourselves. So in addition to the practical step I gave earlier that we need to share angry feelings with someone we can trust who's strong enough and smart enough to help us deal with them, I'd also encourage us to do the following. That when the angry feelings come, reflect, don't react. Reflect, don't react. When it comes to handling your angry feelings, put kind of, some kind of speed bump right, in your life that's going to make you slow down, that's going to keep you from doing something you're going to regret later. Listen, there are some of us here who have angry habits that are so deeply ingrained within us that unless we're willing to do the hard work of rewiring those, we're just going to keep on repeating the same old responses. Now, this is where some anger management techniques can come to play. Now, like I said in the opening message, anger management, apart from the power of God and everything we've talked about in this series, is never going to produce long-term sustainable change. But 
There is some value if we can add practical stills on top of a biblical foundation and understanding of our anger, right? So if we buy into a reflect-don't-react approach to our anger, which, by the way, is something you see Jesus teach in the speck and the plank, right? Then we need to do things like count to ten or, for some of us, a lot more, right? Right? Start with your fingers, take off your shoes, go to the toes, you know, whatever it is, right? Just keep on going. Remember the 24-hour world. Take deep breaths. Pray to God. Be honest. Express your frustration. Ask him for perspective. Journal your feelings. Write them down. Sometimes clarity comes when you're forced to articulate what's going on inside of you. Exercise. Take a walk. Do a chore. Some kind of physical exertion that's going to redirect some of your intensity, right? Talk to a friend, but you'll notice what I put there. Do so for counsel, not gossip, right? For insight, not for blind support to your side and your rightness, okay? And if things get heated in an argument, it's okay to call a timeout. It's even okay to leave the room if you have to cool off, okay? But, if you, but, but let me say this. Leaving the room is different than storming out, right? And storming out of the room, that communicates it's over, we're done here. But leaving the room means that you're also going to need to say something like, I know we need to talk this through. I know we're not done. I just need a moment to gather my thoughts. Can you give me about 10 minutes, right? I think there's a place for that, right? As long as you're not avoiding the situation. Whatever it is, whatever techniques you choose to reflect, not react, what is needed here in us is Holy Spirit-empowered self-control. I love what it says in Proverbs 16.32. Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city, right? Look at what is valued here. Patience, self-control, that the true measure of strength is often seen in what we don't do, in what we don't say, even though every fiber of our being just wants to let it fly because we know we're right. And maybe we are right. But rarely are we ever going to know that within the first few minutes of being wrong. So patience, self-control. We saw last week, self-control isn't easy. It always doesn't come naturally. That's why we need to constantly have this vision of the fruit of the Spirit before us, right? Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Control. These things are the opposite of an immediate outburst. These things are the opposite of misguided passion that as we cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit within us, this kind of fruit can begin to grow in our lives. So yes, we need to do something with our anger, but just letting it fly and holding nothing back is not a biblically wise solution. Now let me put it this way, that when it comes to your angry feelings, you got to do something, but you don't have to act right away. And over these last two weeks, as we've covered all this terrain, you know, about what it means to grow and change when it comes to our anger, that we don't expect to be perfect overnight, but that we can desire to progress over times where our anger and really our entire lives are increasingly conforming to the character of Jesus Christ. And when I think of a room full of people who are committed to doing that, it excites me. It excites me to think about, you know, we live in angry times, don't we? 
we see this angry electorate. People are fed up, and it's like being angry means you're more caring and authentic. But anger, for anger's sake, doesn't help anyone. So yes, anger might tell you that there are a lot of problems out there, but anger won't point you to any solutions. It won't. No, anger, when it is truly righteous, is ultimately motivated by love. Love, and that's where the church comes in. That's where you come in. Because imagine a church filled with Christians who take a biblical approach to their anger seriously. Christians who don't ignore the problem, but Christians who also don't thoughtlessly give full vent to their anger and make those problems worse. No, instead they confront those problems with things like what? With things like patience and love and self-control. Why? Because they're more interested in finding solutions than being right. That's what we're called to do. That's why this stuff matters, where we're both gradually growing in righteous anger and gradually growing in our love. Let's pray together. <sighs> Heavenly Father, um, when we walk through a message like this, it feels like we're holding up a mirror. A mirror not just to our lives, but also to our hearts. And there's a sense where we're tired. We're tired of trying to fight this battle on our own. So we invite you to jump in and take over. And to change us from the inside out. That the Holy Spirit would take us places that we ourselves are unable to go. And God, with everything that I've talked about today, we have life situations in this room right now. Life situations, people that have been damaged either by being on the receiving end of angry actions or the giving end of angry actions. God, thank you that even in our worst, there's still grace. That even in our worst, there is peace. And so rather than shut you out, we invite you in. Holy Spirit, take control. Awaken us to all that is possible in our lives because of Jesus. This we pray in his powerful, in his mighty, in his matchless name. Amen. Let's stand together.
for this moment, this hour, this day, this week, our lives. May God do an awakening work within us through the power of his Holy Spirit. Next week, we will continue on in our anger series and talk about anger and the past. We'll also share communion together as a church family and as Sam mentioned, we'll be going back to our two-service schedule. But as you go from here, may God's awakening power work mightily within you this week. God bless you.